0: Hi everybody and welcome to another edition of the World Football Index Tactics Podcast. Second one this week for you uh, and as always I'm joined by Mr. Grieve in Toronto. How are you this morning Stevie? Dragging me out of my lovely cosy bed at this hour.
1: Sorry, I'm really sorry. But <laughs> no you're not. <laughs> no, nah, I'm, t- nah, I'm not. We've got a really good guest, somebody with an interesting background and hopefully some some things that we probably wouldn't consider or, or really see at the I suppose, at the face level, because it's a lot of background work. So excited to have a, a very good guest this morning.
0: Indeed, and we do have a very good guest, as you say, in the form of Paul Carr from ESPN. First of all, very, very welcome to World Football Index. Paul, uh, how are
2: you this morning? I'm well. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.
0: Well, listen, maybe, maybe just to start us off, maybe you could give us, our, our listeners, a bit of a, a rundown on your job description there at uh, ESPN, what, what it is you actually do in football, Paul.
2: Sure. So my official title is Senior Researcher uh, in ESPN Stats and Information. And what Stats and Information is responsible for, from my angle at least, is uh, we're ensuring that accurate information gets out to the whole company, uh, the right information, and information that tells good stories. So first of all, we want to make sure everything is right, You know, whether it's the right or the stats right, whatever it is, that everything is correct. And then we also want to use all these numbers and this history and our knowledge to... Uh, sell story ideas so if we see that you know whatever this recent statistical trend is in uh, you know a league or you know any sports we work across sports we see what these things are then we want to pitch them to show producers and to analysts and to anchors and say hey you know we think this is something that's worth discussing or maybe they know what they're talking about you know they're going to talk about how uh just making this up how ronaldo's playing in different spots this year then we're going to try and find information that says hey look how many a much higher percentage of his touches are central than were in previous seasons when he was on the left more, or maybe he's shooting from different places, or whatever it might be. Things along those lines. So we both drive storylines and support storylines uh, with statistical information, and we do that across all our studio shows in the U.S. Uh, you know, we touch other parts of the world as well, uh, but so we're based in Bristol, Connecticut. So that's the the primary thing we're focusing on. And then our information also gets digital, whether it's uh, you know on .com or social or whatever it might be. We really touch almost every part of the company but basically we're here to try to tell the best stories to use numbers in history to do that and to make sure that as much of that everything is accurate uh, that we and everyone else is producing
0: well stevie do you want to you want to start off here and and what direction do you want to go
1: with this yeah i suppose the first question i would i would probably have paul would be that what are the things that you would find most interesting that you come up and you go when you're researching something you go oh that's a bit of a surprise it's Know what you thought when you were going into it or what your original perception
2: was and kind of how has it helped shape other things that you've done? Yeah, I think, I mean, the way I kind of approach things, especially on like a game by game level, is, you know, I and, and my team and everyone, you know, we know sports and we're fans of sports. And I try to kind of start there. And so if I'm watching a soccer game, I just try to look and like, what am I seeing? Like, what's happening? Is a team doing you know, really struggling down a certain side? Is another team dominating? Is so-and-so just invisible in the latter part? Did there seem to be a shift in momentum and possession over the latter part of the first half? Uh, it's just kind of, what am I seeing? Like, what's going on in this game? And then, you know, I'll try to find numbers to kind of support that. You know, I could think... Just like looking at the Champions League this week, like Barcelona and Juventus in the second leg. Barcelona had a lot of shots, really, in both legs, but they, generally speaking, weren't good shots. They weren't the Barcelona shots that we're used to seeing from uh, good spots inside the box. So I'm thinking, how can I quantify this numerically? So I'm looking at, you know, where are they from? You know, a much higher percentage of their shots were from outside the box than they normally take. Uh, You know, dealing with expected goals, which is kind of an advanced metric, the expected goals per shot was about 60% of what it normally is for Barcelona. So this speaks to what you know. You see, that Juventus, known for its defense, was doing a great job of keeping Barcelona out of dangerous locations. So part of it is trying to take what you see on the field and quantify that in a certain way. And then you can also kind of do it the other way, where maybe it seems you're not as familiar with, uh, maybe you're just trying to take a different angle, and you just kind of start looking at the numbers Uh, from a given game or a season and and see what you can glean from that and then you take it to an analyst and say hey the numbers kind of suggest that this is happening Uh, do you think that's the case and they may agree they may disagree they may come back and say hey i don't think you're factoring this in which we can then take and either you know run the numbers differently you know do away with them maybe we present the numbers on tv and the analyst says yeah i don't agree with that and here's why so we're trying to kind of set the table for our analysts and our talent to do their jobs. Uh, maybe it's with video, maybe it's just their opinion, uh, whatever it might be. So you can kind of come at it from different either way. Look at what, take what you see, and then react to that, or maybe try to start with the numbers and see how it might translate into uh, something that is or isn't on the field. Both ways, we kind of we try to look at it. So if we
1: if we were to take maybe the Juventus v Barcelona game, which is which quite quite fresh in everybody's mind, right? There was a, a stat made by who dot com where it was Neymar was man of the match based on dribbles, passes, right. things like right. that. What would your stats have said about that game that would have stood out or something which would have stood out as being of a surprise or something that maybe you wouldn't have taken
2: just by watching the match with your eye? Right. So the Neymar thing is, is something that we had picked out. You know, he had, I believe it was like he went one on one 24 times in the game and going back through our, we have seven years of championship data. That was the most that any one player had done in any one game, like for any team. So, you know, that's kind of a starting point. It's like, okay, so Neymar was doing this, and so we can take that and then look at how effective it was. And he was, you know, he was successful on those about the same rate that he normally is, which I think was around 50% or so. You want to lead into your analysts on TV and say, oh, you know, so you give them the number, and then that lets them say, but he wasn't very effective with it. So then, you know, you look at where his shots were, and so many of the shots were from outside the box, and the analyst can use video and say, look how Juve is, you know, this guy's moving over and this guy's moving up and they're, they're forcing him into the center at the top of the box where there's even more bodies and things like that. So like with that specific number, that's kind of, that's how I went about it. Like, that's what I, you know, I saw, like you said, Neymar was getting the ball a lot. The end result wasn't there. And so it's figuring out, you know, what is he doing with the ball? You know, where's he going with it? Uh, and things along those lines. So the volume is there, and the volume, you know, isn't always a good thing. You you can outshoot somebody by a lot, but if your shots are from 20 yards, it doesn't matter as much. Same thing with Neymar. So he had all these one on ones. You know, was that a strategy by Juventus? Maybe was it a strategy by Barcelona? You know, it, maybe it was that way too. But regardless, the results weren't there for Barcelona. So Juve is doing something right, obviously, or Neymar was just struggling. You know, depending on what way you know your talent wants to go with something like that. So that's on that story. That's that's kind of how I went with it. You know, the volume is nice, but the volume on its own isn't something you got to dive a little bit deeper.
1: Yeah, I think when you when you look at a game and you say, "Oh, we've had 15 shots today, and one of them was from inside the box and it was on target," you can clearly see that they've struggled in some way. So is that yeah. something you'd use to highlight maybe the defensive organisation of uh, the opposition team or is that something you'd use to highlight the positioning of the team in possession and maybe show a lack of movement or a lack of combinations or a lack of positional structure, which in my opinion, tactically, Barcelona have got a lot of flaws in terms of their position that they didn't have even two years ago. But is that something you would then use to take clips from the match and give the analyst the opportunity to, to show some kind of tactical analysis level backed up by stats.
2: Yep. Yeah, that's absolutely kind of the approach that we try to take is, um, you know, present these numbers to either, maybe they set up a video clip. So maybe you're showing something going in like, hey, Barcelona outshot Juve, you know, 19 to 12 in this game, but only, you know, four of them were from inside the box. Uh, Here's our analyst to, to explain why Barcelona had trouble getting there. You know, maybe it was something Barcelona was doing. You know, in this game, I'd say it was more, you know, subjectively more something sub- Juve was just clogging those lanes and, and cutting everything off very well. So we could do it that way, and we could do it the other way too. Like, hey, coming off the highlight, let's look at Barcelona's struggles, and then we could tag it with, and here's a, here's a way to quantify it. They only had this many inside the box, or, you know, we like expected goals a lot. You know, it's a similar sort of thing to what you're saying. You can show how many were on target, which is something, how many are inside the box, and expected goals kind of, puts all that together a little bit into a single number that evaluates the team's chances. And we can do it that way. So we, we take both approaches. It kind of depends. Sometimes it depends on the talent, the producer, which way we want to go with it. But yeah, sometimes it leads into things. Sometimes it you know summarizes things on the end. It really just depends of what the story is and how the flow of the show is. What are we doing next? What do we do before uh, things like that? But that's exactly the way that we try to use the numbers to just to back it up, to make it seem a little bit smarter and not, not just have an opinion, which is good, and we need the opinions and the an- analysis from our talent, but also you know show there's a little bit re- of reason behind everything.
1: I think it would be um it'd be an interesting thing to ask you that. What would you say is some of the differences that you find between different teams or different coaches across different leagues? So things sure. that maybe stick out more
2: between, say, England, Germany, France, mm-hmm. Spain, Italy. So, so I was looking at this a little bit, uh, looking mostly kind of at this season, and broadly speaking. There's not a ton of difference, and some of the differences seem small, uh, but but there are some. You know, but, So I was looking at just the sort of passes completed in the, in, per game by a team in the top four leagues in Europe this year, and I was a little bit surprised that Italy, on average, a team would complete about 20 more passes. So they were completing about 394 per game. Uh, it was in the 370s for England and Germany, and 365 for Spain. <laughs> so 20 per game, so that's, you know, what, 5% of the total, which, you know, isn't a huge thing. But they, but then, you know, the next step is to look a little bit deeper. So they're completing 20 more passes, and their average pass completed was a little bit shorter, which to me suggested, you know, they may be holding the ball in the back a little bit more because that's when those pass, where those short passes tend to get completed. So then it's looking into, you know, where are the passes completed? And that's kind of what the numbers played out is that, you know, Italy was completing 20 more passes a game. Most of those tended to be in the defensive half. You know, more or less kind of fits, I think, the general impressions that people have. So, so that was interesting. You start looking at it over a longer period of time, and you can maybe identify trends a little bit more. And then this is where you get into, like, if you're a coach or a scout, uh, you try to, and you're looking at players' numbers, you have to put them in the context of a league or a team, which is what's a little bit tricky. You know, somebody, someone on Byron's types of, uh, their raw numbers of pleated passes are always going to be higher because Byron always has the ball. And, uh, you know, a defender on a you know Sunderland or something is always going to have more we're often gonna have more, you know, tackles, interceptions, and clearances because Sunderland's always defending. So that's the trick is you know, you kind of start broad, see what some of these differences are, and then the more you dive down, you try to figure out how it uh, affects specific teams, specific players. And that's you know, that's a little more on the the scouting, coaching, you know, recruitment type of side, but it's something you also you want to look at just to add context. We're always trying to add context, you know, I can give you all the raw numbers we want, but there's always there's always more context you can add. And that's the trick is kind of figuring out how far to go and what tells the best story and how to use it without obviously overlooking something. There's so much context that you can add to a game or a team or a season. And the trick is just figuring out exactly what you want to do with it and, and where to start, where to stop.
1: When you were speaking about the Italian league there and they complete 20 more passes, I thought that as a bit of a surprise, I thought Spain would right. have had the, the highest pass completion or the highest amount of passes, but at the same time, I think there's less minutes played per game in Spain because the ball spends more time out of play, strangely, or in between restarts. But I wanted to ask you, have you looked at the difference between certain coaches at different clubs, so maybe Ancelotti from Milan or Paris or Chelsea or Madrid or Bayern, and what the difference in the output of his teams were from different clubs, or is that something which you possibly haven't had the opportunity to do even privately or for for
2: your job? Right. So I was looking I was looking at Guardiola and, and Enchilade ahead of this. And so we only have the past six seasons. So we don't have most of Guardiola's Barcelona or any of Guardiola's Barcelona uh, numbers. But it was interesting just to look at, you know, his Bayern and his now his city team. So, you know, the unsurprising thing is that when he came to Bayern, their possession shot up. You know, they had a lot of the ball before, you know, it was in the mid fifties, high fifties percentage wise. Um, when he was there it was pretty much around 70, 71 percent for his three seasons which you know not too surprising but just his ability to implement a system with a good team that was already dominant and take it that much higher i think is, is something uh and he did he's done more or less the same thing at man city they were in the 57 58% range of possession and he's come in in this season they've been a 64%. So he's clearly able to implement some sort of style. Uh Guardiola or Ancelotti rather a little bit different just from the limited data we have, you know, his Bayern team, just down like a couple ticks in possession this year compared to to what Guardiola was doing. And so look at that and some of his other stuff. You know, Guardiola doesn't seem to be, or sorry, Ancelotti doesn't seem to be a revolutionary in the way that he's just kind of, the, from the numbers standpoint, in the sense that he seems to, the numbers seem to change a little bit, but not drastically the way Guardiola does. And I think that kind of plays into the narrative of, I think people, or Ancelotti is viewed a little bit more as a man manager than maybe a tactics genius. Not that he's poor, but that you know he's not going to revolutionize something kind of the way Guardiola tries to. So the numbers kind of back that up in the sense Guardiola comes in and it changes you know somewhat drastically. Ancelotti tends to make tweaks and get everyone on the same page, sort of thing from more of a behind the scenes standpoint. So in that sense, the numbers at least at that first level seem to kind of back up the general impressions I think people have of those two guys.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think Guardiola's clearly got a game model that he wants to implement in every club. And it's interesting just now that you have some people questioning him when clearly he doesn't have the squad capable of completely implementing it. But I wanted to ask you, have you found anything that would suggest what a team's output should be or needs to be to reach, say, the Champions League semi-final? So if you're taking, for example, Monaco, are kind of a surprise package, even though they've been scoring bucket loads of goals they've reached that because their volume is high has there been a a way where you could say like this is the the base output from these clubs
2: that reach that stage of the competition whether it's with the ball or without the ball champions league is always tricky because for a couple reasons i mean one ultimately it's a knockout tournament and there's so much randomness in knockout tournaments in one or two legs that's tricky and then the group stage is often so unbalanced and has a lot of teams that we don't have a ton of data on. You know, the teams outside the top have five, six leagues. We just don't, you know, all you get is those six group games a year or something. So there's not a ton of info. So those those two things make it a little bit tricky. On a league level, it's a little bit easier because you got 30 some odd games every season. Uh, you have several seasons of data. Most of these players have been have been there for several years. So you have a lot more data uh, at the team level. And that's kind of where you can kind of look and project a little bit more what is necessary and so you know over the course of a season you're going to need to be roughly x goals better than your opponents now how you want to go about doing that is is a different question do you want to just score more which is you know some team's philosophy do you want to defend more and you know sort of an atletico model where their goal difference may not be that far off the top clubs the barcelona's and the real madrid's but they're doing it by preventing goals a lot more than scoring them so those those are where you start looking at a little bit more there's, you know, and then somebody like Lester comes along last season and just blows everything up because, you know, they had less involvement or opponents. They, their goal difference wasn't nearly as high as the top five, 16s in the league. So there's always going to be exceptions, which is fine. I think that's kind of, that's why we watch and what makes, what makes it all fun. But you do see more at the, at the league level. Here's kind of what you're looking for. There's not necessarily a style, but you want to get to certain numbers of, uh, of goal difference and being better than your opponent and, and not just goal difference but you go down and it's it's shots and quality shots you want to take so many more shots and so many more quality shots than uh, your opponents do over the course of a season. How you get there, that's the big X factor and there's there's really not one style or anything that that seems to be uh, dominant in that regard So if we were to look at say the difference between
1: Leicester and Sevilla over the, the period of the last say 8 weeks when I think Ranieri was fired and right. when Sevilla started to go in a slump, would that be something that you would red flag a little bit pre-show and say to the say to the analysts, look, Sevilla's numbers have dropped in certain ways and Leicester's may change because they've just had a coaching change and we don't know. So is Sevilla's slump, even though they've won the last leg, something that would give you a red flag going into the Leicester tires? It's something that even if they'd gone through it, it would be something where you'd highlight. And then would that lead them to saying well, maybe you say their expected goals are down, and their shot locations are down, or where they regain the ball is down. And then would you, would that lead you to saying, look, from the start of the season, maybe Atletico Madrid or Real Madrid or somebody would have defended against Sevilla in a certain way, and then seven months into the season, they've changed the way they defend against them because. Sevilla play with a massive space in the middle of the field is that is there ways where you can then take the stats and then look at the tactical things and then go well actually this has changed over the course of the
2: season yeah you can definitely I mean I'll, I'll use Leicester as an example because that's a pretty kind of a stark one when they change managers you know their their goals relative to their expected goals you know up until Air was fired they were basically way underachieving their expected goals total like it looked like they should have had a lot more opportunities and or they should have converted a lot more opportunities and should not have conceded as many as they did so it looked like they were pretty unlucky so you know the question is since Shakespeare took over they're obviously doing well how much of that is just the luck kind of progressing back to the mean and how much of that is a change in style so yeah that's when you start you know cumulatively they're obviously scoring more and getting better results the expected goals hasn't changed a ton you know it's gotten a little bit better but not over such a small sample size, you wouldn't say it's it's all that significant. But then you start looking, you know, kind of line by line at some of the other numbers. And, you know, it, it looks like they're playing a little bit better. It more or less matches the, matches the eye test, where you think that Leicester's playing, uh, you know, more confidently and a little more aggressively. And, you know, so they've had a little bit more possession. You know, they're completing a little bit more passes, taking a few more chances over under the Shakespeare range. So, yeah, you, you definitely look at kind of the trend and see if there's they've been playing better in the past, you know, five, six, eight games. And then you also want to look at kind of what you said, the opponents, you know, if Sevilla has been slumping, but it's because in the last five games they played, you know, Real, Barcelona and Atletico. Well, you're kind of going to take that with a grain of salt. But if they've been playing the bottom of La Liga and the numbers are still down, that's when you're trying to figure out a cause. You know, is somebody hurt is what like you said about the middle, center of the midfield is did they you know, shift something is the ball on one side or the other more Did. uh, you, know, you try to find something, whether it's, and that's maybe you present the numbers to the analysts first and say, "Hey, here's kind of what the numbers say, and I don't really know why." And they might say, "Ooh, that matches exactly what I thought, which is this," or you could, and or you can dig a little deeper in the numbers and try to to figure it out yourself and maybe bring it up as a suggestion. Uh, so we, we try to keep it very collaborative with talent, to because we want their ideas, and if they don't buy into what we're saying, it's not making air. So everybody wins uh, when you work together. But that that's definitely kind of the way you describe it as is a, is a strong way that we try to approach things.
1: It's such a a collaborative way of doing it because, like in the three years that I did the TV, mm-hmm. we had not, no background research. We'd have like little bits, but the place was understaffed, so right. it was basically like. The analysts would do all the stuff themselves, or they would use their own stuff, or they would they would find things to do it because there was no like very very little research done. Which I think, when you look at the broadcasting in North America, it's very stats heavy. Which, to me, as a an outsider coming from from Asian TV or from watching British TV, mm-hmm. everybody's quoting stats. I don't know if there's something in their ear saying this player has done X Y and Z, but I wanted to. Um, I wanted to discuss if there was a possibility of, do you look at players' positions or the difference in stats between the change of the coach or a change in the system and find, well, Luka Modric maybe was doing this one year ago when this is how he's changed his role, and
2: these are the new set of stats and how that impacts the team. Certainly. Um, I can give you a good example we had from, this was from last season, but uh, in MLS, uh, you know, Toronto and Michael Bradley, they said kind of before the season or early in the season that, uh, they were looking to play Bradley a little bit deeper than they did in, in the season before in 2015. So, so I dove into his numbers and where he was touching the ball. And I don't remember the numbers exactly, but it was something like in, the, you know, in 2015, uh, it was about, we'll say 60% of his touches were in the attacking half. He was playing a little bit more of an advanced role. And then in 2016, it was just about flipped where 60% of his touches were in the defensive half. So they were clearly being successful as far as getting him where they wanted him on the field and and doing what they wanted to. And the interesting thing was his chances created, which is basically his passes that lead to shots, were more or less the same both seasons. So he was still as influential in the attack in that sense, but he was doing it from different spots on the field. So we we can definitely look at that. Um, You know, we've done it. You know, Christian is another example in the U.S., uh, where he played mostly on the right wing for Dortmund, and then there was a stretch shortly before the March qualifiers where Dortmund was using them centrally a lot more, which was interesting because Bruce Arena, in one of his pressers before the game, said that he was strongly considering using Pulisic in a central role. He ended up doing it in one of the games. And the first kind of my first knee-jerk reaction was, well, he's a winger, hasn't played playing right wing, why would you move in the middle? But then look at the numbers, like, oh, he's been in the middle quite a bit these last like five games for Dortmund. So, you know, Arena had seen that, I would presume, and that's why he was thinking about it. And so we were able to take that uh, note, even if the numbers themselves don't make air. if it's, you know, Taylor Twelman is saying, look, Pulisic's been playing centrally for Dortmund uh, the last few games, so this isn't a surprise that Arena might try him there. He can say that, he, and it's an informed opinion. He's not just making it up, but he's got, you know, the numbers to back it up if it comes to that. But it just makes him smarter and more confident uh, in what he can say. So we can definitely look at, you know, where the touches are on the field, you know, what they're doing with them. Have the numbers changed? But the the field location is an interesting thing, uh, just as far as where guys get moved around and things like that.
0: Paul, I have a question from sort of a a football Neanderthal point of view, which is probably what I am <laughs> uh, when, when you when you when you talk about stats and so on. And you sure. mentioned you mentioned Leicester there and you know about projected goals and what they were projected yep. to do and i'm just curious you know obviously we had the ranieri era which came to an end and the shakespeare era started do you re- just restart the stats from that or do- how much of ranieri's uh, stats are 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 factored in then to, to a manager change because obviously you know we we see especially many many teams changing managers and there's there's a spike in form there's a change in form you know it is quite common you know from this stats point of view do you have to just rewrite the book from, from that day? Or, or what way do you, do, do you you know, obviously you need to factor in, obviously the Ranieri area. How, how do you merge those two sets of stats and make sense of them?
2: Yeah, it, it really depends kind of on the story and the angle you're trying to, to go with it. You know, because... You know, just from a a stat standpoint, obviously the larger sample size you have is better. You know, over three or four or five games, you know, things can get skewed pretty wildly by you know one penalty or one red card or or whatever it might be. And even over the course of a season, you know, you can have statistical outliers, kind of like Lester was last season. So so it kind of depends and. It also depends where you're going with the story as far as, you know, are we trying to predict something that's going to happen? Or are we just trying to tell you the story of what has happened? Because those can be very different uh, sorts of things. If We're just trying to tell you, like, here's some of the differences in Leicester with Ranieri and with Shakespeare. You know, you you start obviously with uh, the points and the goals and the the goals against. And then maybe try and dig a little deeper and see if there's been luck or not. But then, you know, if you're looking at Leicester on the whole for the season, that's when you want to incorporate both. Because it's all... Part of the same thing. It's not like they got completely new players, or you know, suddenly decided to get lucky on their taking their chances under Shakespeare. So you've, you've got to incorporate kind of the more data you can at times as well. But sometimes you want to look. You're looking at more of a micro level. That's when it's breaking it down by a couple games at a time uh, under a new manager and whatnot. Uh, so so it really depends. What what are we trying to do here? Is there are there any other stories you know hidden in that? Did you know? I think like in Seattle and MLS. When Brian Schmetzer took over in the middle of last season, Seattle became a totally different team. But part of that story was that's when Nicholas Ladero also joined the team. And so, you know, it's it's are there other things we need to tie together? And then, you know, Dempsey went away. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? So trying to to find all the different things. So, again, it, everything is kind of story dependent, analyst dependent, uh, time dependent as far as what how much time you have on TV to, to get to a certain story as far as uh, what you're going to do with the data.
0: No, and I think it's just interesting, you know, because obviously you cannot, stats and, and analysis cannot factor in that, that the clear fact of, you know, of Leicester that they'd stopped yep. playing for Ranieri, you know, they had, they had basically right. down tools. And, and obviously the change of management, you know, highlighted that so, so clearly. Yep. Uh, again, it sort of, it makes obviously your job then as an analyst pretty damn difficult, you know, because it's a human element and it's not an actual fixed thing that you can measure.
2: Right. Yeah. Cause you look at, as we look at Leicester's numbers under Ranieri, Ranieri this season you know they were under achieving their expected goals and they were allowing more than they should have so the yeah the analytic part of me is like saying leave the manager everything's gonna you know balance out they're gonna be fine they're not they're they're probably like the 12th maybe 14th worst team in the league or 14th best team you know they really weren't down there with uh, the teams in the relegation zone even though they were there in the table um, but I totally you know I get the kind of the heart angle and the mental side and the fact that you know the team literally cannot afford to get relegated from a financial standpoint. So there's, you know, there's chances you just can't afford to take at times. And that's sometimes, the, you know, you have to defy the numbers a little bit. And that's kind of the ideal way you want things to work, I think, at a club. You know, numbers people aren't trying to take over everything and and make it a cold, heartless business. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they want to help coaches and management, uh, make smarter decisions and not just kind of rely on the eye test and hey I saw this guy play really great in one or two games so let's go pay 50 million dollars or pounds for him or whatever and try to you know make it uh, smarter choices in that regard so if, if it's all working together perfectly from a from a club standpoint you've got your numbers guys you've got your your coaching your scouting guys and they can f- kind of figure out how to work together when they're making decisions whether it's a change of coach whether it's a player acquisition selling players whatever it might be you ideally have that kind of harmony and we kind of try to simulate something like that on television we've got numbers people working with our talent uh it's it's sort of the same sort of thing trying to uh, have good collaboration to come up with a good end product paul i've just moved over here and Mm -hmm. tfc is my
1: local team so i'm going to watch them tonight okay what are the statistical things that you find most interesting from the MLS or things that stand out between players? I know you, you mentioned that Siggy Sh- Schmidt the left Seattle halfway through last season the same week Lodero joined. Right. And they went on a nice run and ended up somewhat, in my opinion, fortunately, winning the MLS right. Cup final due to TFC's inability to adapt or shape or find a new game plan because they don't have any right. wingers. Right. What are the things across the league that you, you would say are most interesting or things that me as a, a newcomer to the league would, would find slightly different from Europe or things to do with different players or coaches?
2: Uh, I think, I mean, the coaching angle is always interesting to me because, you know, people kind of knock MLS a little bit saying the tactics are not at the highest level of some of the other leagues, which, you know, there's some truth to it. But I think a lot of the coaches in the last, especially in the last few years that have come into the league really have changed that. Um, So looking at what coaches do to teams and just how they play a little bit different, Um, you know, I'm from the Kansas City area. So, you know, I watch a lot of a lot of sport in Kansas City and seeing how they kind of have this 4-3-3 that presses a lot and, you know, where they're trying to win the ball. And just I think there's, there's a lot of different ways that coaches implement their game plans. You know, Ponovich in Chicago has done a lot this year with doing things differently and their numbers look a lot different than they have in previous seasons. Patrick Vieira has come into New York and he's shown a flexibility of trying different things. And, but you know, it all kind of plays out into, you know, it's a wing heavy attack and they want to, they want to push forward uh, down those wings. Toronto, you know, you said they've turned into very kind of giovinco centric and kind of going right up that middle to Giovinco and Altidore. And when Giovinco's not, getting it done you know like kind of like it was toward the end of the playoffs in this season whether it's injury or whatever reason uh you know that sometimes they struggle to have other options so i would try to figure out get a general sense of the players these the different teams rely on and, and how they go about their attack whether it's looking at where they're kind of collectively touching the ball you know is it more heavy on the wings is it more at the middle where are they you know trying to take away the ball defensively things like that i mean it's not all that different than other leagues in in some regard i just think at mls there's you know, there's more parity. The different ways can be a little maybe more obvious and more more choices than necessity. You know, if you're at the, the bottom of the Premier League, you almost have to play a certain way against the top team in the Premier League. Whereas if you're at the bottom of the MLS, the gap's not as great, and so maybe you have opportunities to try things a little bit differently from a, from a tacit, tactics and a stats standpoint. So that's kind of the, the big picture things that I'd kind of try to look at and see what teams are up to.
1: I think, yeah, like just listening to you speaking about TFC there and being very GeoVinco-centric, I think that's a huge thing with, with TFC because they have no way to stretch the game. Unless Michael Bradley's dictating the game, they have the, the wing back streamer is quite good on the, on the left, and I think it's Betisure on the right is quite good. But I mean, there are certain games where I went to the Philadelphia game, and it was both teams kind of played like almost a 4 4 2 diamond, or Philadelphia played a really narrow midfield four. And it was a very simple change. Would there be a point where you would say during a broadcast to the stats people, they've not got the ball into a specific area, even once or twice, and then show three or four clips and be like, look, this is the problem with that team and look at it from not like, not an a, a statistician's opinion, but this might be my opinion and this shows it. And it doesn't even take a professional coach. To figure this out—is that something that you might do during a broadcast to show something which clearly isn't working that
2: most people may not actually notice? Yeah, we definitely try to. I mean, the the trick is, you know, in, within a broadcast window, you just have a short turnaround time from kind of a technical standpoint. So, uh, you know, the best times to do that are usually either at halftime or post game. So, I can think of you know times during, especially the World Cup. So, like the World Cup in Brazil, I was sitting next to the set, basically. So I'm watching the game with our talent, you know, during the first half and the second half. So, you know, I hear someone like Alexi Wallace say, you know, he's just watching and saying, boy, Cristiano Ronaldo has disappeared. And so then I can go and, you know, oh, look at the numbers. Look, he had whatever, 10 touches in the first 20 minutes and two touches the entire rest of the half. So then if we have time, you know, we can get one of our our associate producers or PAs to, to find some video of, maybe is the opponent – Uh, shutting him down? Are they cutting off the passing lanes or is it because Ronaldo is not drifting into the right spaces? So if there's time, that's definitely a way you want to do it. It's hard in a game broadcast, especially if there's no studio element to it, just to have the the technical abilities to turn it around that quickly. Uh, But if that's the case, then it's where maybe you just get a one-liner in and you try to, you know, we have ways of feeding uh, information to our talent. So it's, it's getting a one-liner for then Alexi or, you know, whoever it is, or Taylor will just say, well, Ronaldo only had two touches in the last 20 minutes of the first half. Portugal's got to do better, and maybe he can just, you know, elaborate on it verbally. So the trick is, video just takes a lot longer from a technical standpoint. But those are definitely things, you know, when we're locked in on game broadcasts, especially during you know our major tournament coverage and things like that. Those are definitely things we look for, and when there's time, we we definitely want to pull video clips uh, to support it, and it works best kind of in a, a pre a half post game atmosphere.
1: So, Paul. Is there anything, or have you looked at when, say, the U.S. men's national team have been playing matches and you look at the players' um, statistics for the national team, mm-hmm. but then you look at their club statistics, is there anything that kind of stands out that some players maybe play drastically differently for, for the national team rather than the club?
2: I mean, the short answer is yes. I'm trying to think of a uh, specific example from these like these March qualifiers, for instance. I mean, the position is always something we want to look at. Are they playing in different spots? You know, it it wasn't super applicable. Like when when Fabian Johnson uh, is on the team, if he's playing left back, you know, he played, you know, most of the time and spent X percent of his time in the attacking half for Gladbach, but now they're playing in a left back where his, you know, his touches are going very different. Uh, The Pulisic example is something, you know, he played centrally uh, in in the U.S. first qualifier in March. And then when Jermaine Jones came back into the team, he moved back out uh, to the right side. So you can look at, uh, the different numbers. So I always interested in, in kind of where they are on the field. Like, is that different? And the tricky part about any national team games is that you just have such a small sample size and there's so many variables going on. So, you know, the U S is going to play whatever, 15 games a year. And, you know, half of those really matter. And half of those are friendlies where you're making six subs, uh, and whatnot. So, so that's always tricky comparing to a 34 game league season or 38 game season or whatever. Just comparing them kind of on a game to game basis and seeing what the U.S. is doing differently, especially when the games matter, can can also be very interesting. So there's there's always something, uh, you know, you t- maybe take what they're doing at their clubs and suggest why you know so and so is playing great for his club. Why can't he do that for the national team? You know, that's what I think of someone like Fabian Johnson. Like he's really good at midfield for Gladbach. You really want him at midfield for the U.S. But then there's obviously reasons the U.S. doesn't have any left back. So you know he's also their best left back option or whatever. So they definitely try to to use it to inform and see what we can do with it. You know, you never just different teams, different setups. You never know how it's going to translate. So it's not always a a perfect comparison, but it, but it makes, uh, makes your information better. And you at least, you know what you're talking about as you try to to talk about what the U S is or isn't doing on the field. One last question, where
1: is the future of your role in broadcasting and the, the talent and the use of the talent going in the future?
2: Um, I mean, there's always room to work better with talent. Uh, whether it's, you know, different talent are more accepting or, or not accepting of, of the numbers. Some don't want anything. Some they will they'll take things when they support their points. Some will come to you with a blank slate and, and you can kind of work together to figure things out. So, you know, it's always a process to work with talent uh, and just kind of figure out each one's method and, and what they like and don't like. I think, you know, a little bit of a trend I've noticed just as talent is, you know, they're going to be younger and younger, come through the ranks and they'll have grown up with more of this. So I think, that's where the evolution is going to be. Uh, just, you know, you look at British TV and you got, you know, guys like uh, Gary Neville or Jamie Carragher who, who tend to use a lot of uh, numbers to at least inform their opinions, if not kind of craft them. And these are guys that are coming right off the field. So, you know, there's chances, chances are they were using these things a little bit at the club level. So I think the more you get newer broadcasters, especially on the analyst side, the guys who use some of the stuff at the club level, the more they're going to be comfortable. And I think that will just make everything better and easier. So that's kind of what I would anticipate as far as the future of that goes.
0: Well, listen, Paul, I know you're on a tight schedule. I'll bring it to a close at this point. I'd just like to thank you so much for coming on today. You've uh, you've spoken very well. Learned a lot, even though I'm yeah. I'm a stats negative kind of person, you know. Right. That, as I said, yeah. a, fo- a football Neanderthal, but certainly it's food for thought. Listen, could you maybe give our listeners, you know, where we can find you on Twitter, um, any of your work or anything relevant to the pod you th- you could give to our listeners to read
2: up on or anything, please, feel free. Sure, um, I'm on Twitter at PCar ESPN. Mostly, I'm tweeting. Usually, when I'm sitting down watching a game and tweeting out live things or you know articles I find interesting. Whether it's you know stat oriented or, or generally soccer oriented uh, as well, and then I and my team we work on our all of our soccer coverage. Whether it's you know our main on air games are MLS games right now, so we have a game of the week that our team puts packets together for crack the air that way. Uh, we have a few US qualifiers. You know we have the ICC this summer, and we have our ESPN FC show. Those are kind of the soccer specific things that you see on television, and we do a lot of stuff for .com as well. Whether it's uh, you know preview posts that. Come around, games or reaction to stuff. Or a lot of times we're just contributing a, a thing to an article here or there. Uh, I write for .com a little bit, uh, not too much, but usually around kind of our, our soccer power index projections as well. So yeah, follow on Twitter. And I think you know I, I like to think I kind of point people in good directions and give them interesting things to to check out, uh, whether they're a stat nerd or someone who's uh, learning it a little bit. But I just always think it's important. Just Broadly speaking, you, know, you say your stats are Neanderthal, and I have no problem with it. You know, I know stats aren't the answer. Uh, we're not trying to like convert you to the religion of soccer statistics. We're just trying to learn a little bit more ourselves and learn how to better tell these stories of what happens in games and seasons and players and teams uh, in different sorts of ways and, and smarter ways to, to help us all learn a little bit.
0: No, Paul. Well, I think it's, it's more a generational thing. I'm watching football forty years, and you know, mm-hmm. there was never any stats. There was never, never anything right. like that. So, you know, I, I'm I'm quite cynical when it comes to to stats. I I trust my own sure. eyes. Basically, although Stevie yeah. makes me. So Stevie stuff makes me uh, not trust my own eyes. But anyway, listen. Right. I appreciate you're a busy man. Thank you so much for your time and coming on the World Football Index. It is very much appreciated. But listen, from from your point of view, Stevie, uh, the consultancy are you still looking for people uh, for the the B license and so on. Far away with your plugs, where we we'll find you, all the
1: rest of it. Yeah, you can you can find me on Twitter. And if you're doing any coach education stuff, which is related to either coaching or match analysis or tactical understanding, then please get in touch and. If you'd like to watch a tactical analysis TV show, there's a pinned tweet on my page, which is to go and watch Mind Game on Vimeo. So, But I would just like to thank Paul massively for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking to you um, listening to your, your information and your insight that I find invaluable because I've been following for a while and you tweet something, I go, oh, that was not expected or this is something which is really interesting and you are making me think in a, a slightly different way. So it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and, and I thank you very
2: much for your time. Yeah, no problem. It's been fun, guys. Thank you.
0: Well, listen, that is great. From my own point of view, just check out all the usual shows there are, are out this week. I'll say, There's another tactics we did on uh, Colombian youth development, which is excellent with uh, Simon Edwards. I'll say all the leagues are there full week has been we've got massive amounts of pods out there's also a globe out there on uh, on the media basically and 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 how the media is changing how bloggers are basically taking over so so give that one a shout as well but listen until the next time just thanks one last time to, to paul for coming on and, and to stevie as always thank you to the listener and it's goodbye from us.